You're in the water loop. Hey everyone, this is Travis with Waterloop. I know a lot of people want to use water efficient fixtures, but they're afraid they won't work as well. Let me tell you about High Sierra Showerheads, which was named Best Showerhead by Popular Science. I just installed one at my house and I was genuinely surprised at the power and coverage of the water. High Sierra Showerheads earn the EPA WaterSense label for water efficiency. They use at least 40% less water than the conventional low flow showerheads. High Sierra showerheads are constructed out of metal, so there's no plastic involved, they're very durable, and they're naturally antibacterial. One of my favorite things, these showerheads are made in the USA by a small business located in the Sierra Nevada foothills. Get 20% off with promo code WATERLOOP at HighSierraShowerheads.com. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. For this episode, I am joined by Julia Stein. She is project director of the Emmett Institute on Climate Change and the Environment at the UCLA School of Law. Julia, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Travis. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about plastic pollution. Um, this is something that's bothered me for a long time. Uh, there's a lot of attention on it. There's been growing attention to this issue, which is awesome. Um, and I kind of, I guess, tracked you down because you've been part of, of some work looking at this. I, I, you were in a report I looked at from Surfrider that they were involved in putting out. Uh, I think you've even gone to Congress uh, and, and mm -hmm. talk, talked about federal legislation that could help with plastic, all that good stuff. Um, so again, excited to talk to you. Could you start by kind of just giving me what what's the kind of scope of plastic production and pollution? There's a lot of numbers out there and moving targets mm -hmm. and everything, but, but what's kind of the snapshot right now of, of plastic? Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's really uh, a very significant issue and problem and ranging from, you know, costs in the public health sector to uh, municipal costs from issues like recycling and waste management um, and obviously astronomical environmental costs. So I think a lot of people come to this issue having heard about impacts on the marine environment from plastic pollution. What will happen is plastic litter finds its way out to our waterways, to our rivers and oceans um, via the sewage system. And what that's resulted in is millions of tons of plastic entering our waterways every year, and then really significant impacts to our marine wildlife as a result. So 700, over 700 species of, of marine wildlife have been impacted by plastic pollution. That includes uh, over 80% of sea turtle species. And what happens a lot of the time is that you know, marine wildlife will feed something like a plastic bag and it'll mistake it for food. Um, and eat that, the stomach becomes full of plastic, uh, leaving no room for actual nutrition, and then the animal passes away as a result. Um, but beyond that, you know, there are all sorts of other impacts, plastics break down in water. And so we're now seeing microplastics and water systems across the United States, the majority of water systems have microplastic particles floating around in them. Um, much of the table salt that you consume actually has minuscule plastic uh, particles in it. So it's getting back into our bodies as well. Um, and, you know, there are obviously health consequences from that. 
And then uh, another aspect of this issue that sometimes gets overlooked is the, the tie-in to climate change because plastic is, is a petroleum-based product. And so obviously there are emissions impacts from, you know, gas necessary to produce plastic products and then also chemical emissions from the process itself. And then plastic, when it gets into landfills, also releases greenhouse gases as it breaks down in the environment. So, you know, there are a number of climate change impacts associated with the process itself of producing plastic. Yeah. It's like, I have to swear off salt now. Like I can't, you know, all my, all my salt has microplastic in it. I mean, I've, I've been like even more concerned or I've really eaten less seafood, less fish because Mm -hmm. of like the microplastics just are just getting in that chain, you know? Um, Yeah. There's really no way to escape it. I think the number is something like 94% of public water systems in the United States have microplastics floating around in the water. So you know, once you start kind of going down that rabbit hole and looking at all the environmental impacts associated with it, it it's uh, it's really significant. Yeah, I, I know that big part of our conversation that I'm excited about today is about solutions and mm-hmm. and different actions that can be taken to kind of I guess regulate plastics and and uh, and that kind of thing. But um, what are the what are the top concerns right now? You know, which plastics, bags, bottles, straws? Mm-hmm. You hear about all these different ones. What's what's what are the, kind of the biggest problems? Sure. So um, a lot of laws have targeted plastic products that are single use, which means that the product is only used once. So you think about a plastic straw or a really thin plastic bag that you might use at a grocery store. So, you know, if you think about all the environmental costs that are associated with producing that plastic item, and then all the environmental costs that happen at the end of the life cycle of that plastic item, and then you know, the very short period of time that that item is actually being used by someone. You're looking at a lot of environmental cost for very little utility on our end. Um, And these are plastic items that have kind of become ubiquitous um, in our society. So then plastic bags, um, styrofoam cups, you know, things like that, um, straws. And these are items that are also frequently littered and they're also very challenging to recycle. Mm. So I think that there's um, a misconception and we can talk about recycling too a little bit later as well. Um, But I think there's a conception out there that, you know, Oh, I take my plastic bottle or my plastic item and I stick it in the recycling bin and then it goes off and lives again as another plastic item. And the reality is that only about 10% of plastic items are actually recycled and that our waste management infrastructure just really isn't um, capable of handling a lot of the plastic waste produced. And plastic bags are a great example of this because thin plastic bags are very challenging to recycle. They gum up works. They're not economical to recycle. So those end up, you know, typically getting landfilled and then or finding their way into our environment in some other way. Does that, when you say, you know, 10% end up getting recycled, does that mean that, you know, only 10% of, of what's produced gets recycled? Or like if I put all my plastic in my recycling, mm-hmm. only 10% of that is going to end up getting recycled and the other 90% is going to get into a landfill or something like that? Possibly even less than that, depending on what plastic items you're throwing into your recycling bin. Yeah. And so, and this is, you know, part of why this issue is, is gaining so much attention now is that because our waste management infrastructure in the United States hasn't had the capacity to handle the amount of plastic 
waste that we produce for a long time. We produce the most plastic waste per capita of of any country in the world. Um, We had been kind of outsourcing that waste management to particularly countries in Asia, to China, to Thailand, and other Southeast Asian countries. And recently, those countries have said they're not going to accept our plastic waste anymore because they're, you know, facing significant environmental impacts on their end um, from having to manage all of that waste. And so now we're sort of facing this crisis of, oh, my goodness, we're generating all this plastic waste. What are we going to do with it? Yeah. Yeah. I know that a lot of those countries in Southeast Asia, those rivers are actually a lot of the source of plastic that's getting into the Pacific Ocean, right? So, and think about loading up all of our plastics and shipping them across the ocean, Mm -hmm. just like (laughs) that's not a really environmentally friendly thing to do as well. Uh, Just crazy. Um, There were a couple terms when I was looking at this report um, that I think I know what they're about, but I'd love to hear you talk about them. Um, Source control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So source control is really the concept that um, instead of focusing on end of life ways to manage plastic waste like recycling or landfilling that we would really focus at the source and try to eliminate the use of plastic items that are unnecessary. So, you know, really focusing on, um, in particular single use plastic items, is there a way to eliminate our use of certain items or reduce our use of certain items so that we're not generating, we're not producing as much plastic waste on the front end. We're not generating that plastic in the first place. Well, that makes sense. And then the other term, uh, life cycle management. Mm -hmm. So this is really, again, the concept of thinking about, you know, how do we manage plastic from start to finish in our society? You know, plastic has lots of valuable utility in, you know, medical equipment. And we don't, you don't necessarily want to get rid of plastic entirely um, as, you know, a category. But it's, again, thinking critically about what plastic do we need? What plastic is superfluous in our society? And how can we think about how that plastic waste is managed? Um, and what do we do at the end of life of that plastic you know, how do we think about ways to make plastic that's better, plastic that's compostable, perhaps, or plastic that's more easily recyclable? And how do we cut down on plastic products that we know can't meaningfully be recycled? Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking what you about what you said, you know, you get this plastic bag when you take carry out food or something that just came out of the box, they put your food in it, you take it home, boom, you're done with it. Like, mm-hmm. and that's happening millions and millions and millions of times. So it's just, it's, it's crazy. And it is encouraging to see some companies out there and some innovators that are coming up with alternatives or compostable, you know, alternatives to some of these products. Um, Speaking of solutions, I'd like to spend a ton of time on that now, because I think that's important. And a lot of what uh, I think your work is focused on. So what are the, what are the types of, I guess, plastic bag laws? Um, And then, you know, which ones are mm-hmm. most effective? Yeah, sure. So with respect to plastic, and I should preface this by saying that plastic bag laws themselves are not by any means the end-all be-all of plastic regulation, but they are kind of a first step that a lot of jurisdictions have started focusing on. Um, so we have many examples of plastic bag laws here in the United States alone and in other countries as well. Um, and those laws typically take one of three forms. Um, 
either a straight ban. So this is a law that just bans the use of single-use plastic bags as you can't utilize them in particular circumstances anymore. Um, a law that would just impose a fee on the use of a single-use plastic bag or any sort of single-use bag. So you go to the grocery store and they charge you five cents for any single-use bag that you use to carry out your items or something called a fee ban hybrid. Um, And so that's a law that bans the use of thin single-use plastic bags and then places a charge on other types of carry out bags like paper bags and like thicker plastic reusable bags. Okay. Um, which ones, which ones have you found to be the most effective, I guess, or also Mm -hmm. kind of one of my other questions that leads into is what are some successful examples of, of local and state policies that have, you know, worked? Sure. Yeah. So, um, Fees and fee ban hybrids are by far the most successful ways of regulating plastic bags. So the issue with a plastic, ba- a straight plastic bag ban with no fee component attached to it is that what happens in that case is that consumers then typically go for the other option. So, you know, when you're at a grocery store, typically they'll ask you paper or plastic, right? Mm-hmm. And if there's a ban on plastic bags, many consumers will just switch to paper rather than bringing a reusable bag. And paper bags themselves have all sorts of environmental impacts associated with them. So in some ways, you're just shifting environmental costs over to another medium rather than, you know, doing what we all hope a a plastic bag ban would do, which is reduce environmental impact. And so the, the nice thing about a fee or a fee ban hybrid is that what it does is actually encourage a change in consumer behavior. And so, you know, good example of this is California instituted a statewide plastic bag ban fee hybrid law. And we saw, you know, Cal Recycle collect statistics on on what that's done to consumer behavior and over 85% of transactions now people are bringing reusable bags. So it's really had a meaningful change in the way that consumers utilize bags at at grocery stores. And that's amazing. And, you know, research has shown that bag fees that are as small as five cents have the effect of encouraging people to bring a reusable bag. So it's really, um, it's really a powerful device. I I bet you there's some kind of education component too, when a, when a city or a state passes a law about plastic, you know, then that's in the news and Mm -hmm. hopefully some more people that weren't aware of the environmental pitfalls of plastic. Maybe there's some education that happens there as well, hopefully. Um, (laughs) Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, One of the things that's interesting is talking about the economic benefits of regulating plastic. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious to have you explain that. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, municipalities spend billions of dollars a year, both cleaning up plastic waste that ends up on their streets and then plastic waste that ends up in their waterways. Um, Plastic waste can also cause real issues at waste management facilities. So plastic bags, again, are a great example. They gum up treatment works all the time. And then the plant has to be, you know, aspects of the plant have to be shut down to deal with that issue. Um, So there are really huge costs associated just with managing the waste that gets generated and those costs can be eliminated or at least reduced for municipalities when plastic waste is reduced. Yeah. That's a, 
That's a big chunk of money. Absolutely. When I was reading that again, reading that report and looking at the numbers, the dollars that are spent um, in cleanups, it's it's crazy. Um, one of the things that's happened the past few years is like you know the plastic drinking straw has become mm-hmm. public enemy number one in a lot of ways. I live in a coastal community in Wilmington, North Carolina. There's all these you know ocean friendly establishments that are you know, no more plastic straws, all this kind of stuff. I think there's been legislation, there's the, the backlash on that. Um, sure. But uh, I guess I'm just kind of curious, what's, what's going on with straws? And, you know, how big of a problem are they? And, and what's going on, I guess, with the, the laws, the policies around straws? Yeah, sure. So this is another commonly targeted item. Um, it's, again, another single use item that falls in my mind, into the kind of unnecessary category, right? We can use straws that are made out of other media. We can not use a straw. <laughs> um, we can carry our own reusable straw. Um, so again, you're looking at a large amount of plastic production for very little utility um, over the life cycle of that product. Uh, and so this is something that, you know, like you've said, is being regulated in your community. It's regulated here in California. It's being regulated um, in many different communities across the United States and many dur- jurisdictions um, globally as well. And it, straws are, are, you know, among well-frequently littered plastic items. So they are one of those items that we see entering the waterways and actually contributing to marine plastic pollution. And so reducing the use of items like that is an important step. It's by no means the answer to, to all of our plastic woes, but it's a good step. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm curious to talk a little bit about the uh, kind of the industry side and the, and the producer mm-hmm. side. Um, have, have industries been coming to the table on solutions on plastic or even on policies on, on plastic in communities? Sure. Um, they have, but in a very focused and kind of limited way. So the industry engagement up to this point has really focused on the concepts of recycling and waste management infrastructure. And that's typically where you see industry engaging. Um, and so the focus has been there on lobbying. You know, I think there's been a recognition on the part of industry that they need to uh, address this issue. So you see things like Starbucks changing its lid so that it doesn't lose, you know, straws anymore. Um, other major retailers saying that they're going to phase out the use of plastics by a date certain. And all of that is great. Um, but, you know, the issue with that is that it's voluntary. Mm. So not all industry is, is doing it. Not all companies are required to do, to take these steps. Um, and in addition, it's only focusing on kind of one aspect of the issue. Um, so when you look at big lobbying around recycling, you know, it's an important part of the, the problem. But like I said, very little plastic waste is actually recycled. Yeah. So if we're focusing all of our efforts on legislation that focuses on recycling, we're not addressing, again, a major part of the problem, which is that we're generally generating a lot of plastic waste that can't be recycled and that we don't really have anywhere to put it. So, you know, in my mind, meaningful action um, takes a variety of forms and is more comprehensive. And so a good example of um, a more comprehensive 
package is uh, the EU directive that came down a couple years ago that focuses on uh, extended producer responsibility. So really engaging industry with taking responsibility for the end of life management for the products that it produces, in addition to bans of the 10 most commonly littered items. So what they did there was survey, you know, what items most commonly show up on beaches here in the EU, and then focused on targeted bans and ways to reduce litter that is generated in terms of those items. And then, you know, in addition to that, thinking about how do we improve recyclability for plastic products? How do we invest in waste management infrastructure so that we can better manage the waste that we do generate because it's not going away entirely? Um, So it's a kind of holistic approach that attaches to all of these different aspects and questions as opposed to just, you know, hoping that recycling is going to solve the problem. Yeah, there's there's a common theme. I'm curious about from a policy standpoint, from a legislation standpoint, you know, local versus state versus federal. Um, You know, obviously, the drawback of a local or state policy is it doesn't apply everywhere, right? You're not tackling this problem as a country. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges federally is, you know, the political will to do something. Um, Could you talk about, you know, kind of from your view, um, you know, the pros, cons of local, state, federal? Sure. So, you know, a lot of local jurisdictions have taken action on this issue, and that's fabulous. Um, And we certainly wouldn't want to undermine any efforts that local jurisdictions have taken to try to address this issue. By the same token, you know, a federal policy would be much better. And one of the issues, in addition to a policy not applying uniformly, um, because it's not federal, Um, What we've seen is that in certain jurisdictions, there is now state legislation that's attempting to preempt local governments as they try to take action. So, for example, you you live in Wilmington, um, you know, say your city passes a local ordinance that bans straws, but then the state of North Carolina decides to pass legislation saying that you your city can't actually enact that ordinance. That's happened in several states in the United States. And so what federal legislation would do is protect local jurisdictions that have already implemented some form of um, ordinance or legislation by saying, you know, if you have something that's more protective or as protective as this, go for it, keep it in place. But there needs to be a uniform national policy that deals with the management of plastic waste. And we actually do have proposed legislation now on the federal level, um, which is amazing. Uh, You know, given, as you've said, political will and political climate uh, still very much remains to be seen um, what will happen with that. But Senator Udall of New Mexico and Representative Lowenthal, native here to, to Southern California, have proposed what's called the the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act, and that's sitting on the Hill right now, and is, again, a more comprehensive package that it has a ban component, it has an extended producer responsibility component, it has a component that deals with recycling and waste management infrastructure. So it's intended, again, to be kind of a more holistic policy um, solution. And you know, again, we'll see what happens with that. But at the very least, it's a conversation starter to get people thinking about ways that we can have a meaningful conversation about how to regulate. 
Well, I was going to ask you, you know, if you were crafting legislation, you know, and, and it was going to pass what you would include in there, um, you know, knowing what you know. Um, so how does, how would your ideal set of solutions look um, compared to what's up there on the Hill now, you know, versus, you know, how would yours probably go further, I'm imagining? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, uh, what I'll say is that the proposed legislation really does a nice job of trying to incorporate all of these various different categories of regulation. And so, you know, sure, we might quibble around the edges of could a ban be stronger or, you know, what should a fee look like or what should extended produ producer responsibility requirements really be for industry? You know, how much responsibility should they have to take for, um, say, percentages of their products that need to be recyclable or um, amount of funds that need to be funneled into waste management infrastructure to make sure that we can deal with the amount of waste that's being generated? Um, but conceptually, I think you know, I think the bill is a really nice start um, in terms of, you know, all those categories of regulation. All right. That's good. That's encouraging to hear. <laughs> uh, how is it for, how was it for you going to, going up to Congress, going up to the Hill, talking about this stuff? How, how, how was that experience and yeah, how was, how was it all received? Yeah, it was really, um, it was a great experience. Uh, you know, we went in January wow. and, uh, and we actually went in the middle of a giant snowstorm. And so, you know, a number of the, of the senatorial and congressional offices were ended up being closed mm -hmm. the day that we went to lobby. And still, we had a great turnout in terms of congressional staff that came to hear us speak. Um, senators and representatives that we were able to meet in person. So I was really impressed um, with the commitment to the issue and, and really heartened to see a number of staffers and a number of senators and congresspersons who were interested in the issue. Awesome. And and where do things stand now, I guess, from a, a policy momentum standpoint at the state and local level? Like I feel, I mean, I followed this type of news, right? And I have definitely <laughs> seen a flurry of things over the past bunch of years, states doing this, municipalities doing that. Is is that drumbeat continuing or? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really steady drumbeat and it's been growing for the last several years. But I think much like with everything else, this pandemic has thrown a very interesting wrench into that, um, that movement. So you might've seen that California actually suspended its plastic bag ban law um, early on in the pandemic so that folks could get their carry out um, groceries and plastic bags. And, you know, there's still not definitive research around whether plastic bags are really any safer um, and in terms of a medium for, for carry out um, and protectiveness from coronavirus than any other than, you know, for example, a reusable bag that can be washed or, um, a paper bag. And there's some research that deals with other coronaviruses that tends to suggest that actually plastic bags aren't safer. Um, but there's nothing specific to this coronavirus. Mm. Um, and so that research still out there needs to be done. Um, but I think we've seen, you know, a little bit of a step back. And then in addition to that, just, you know, legislators being pulled in different directions by what's going on right now. And, you know, we had some momentum with uh, a plastic bag, a more comprehensive set of plastic regulation that was going to occur here in California, SB 
54 that was, you know, being considered in the legislative session last year and had been tabled and was maybe going to be on the ballot in November. And now that's all kind of up in the air here in California. I know other states like New Jersey are considering plastic bag bans of certain products and those efforts are, you know, on hold or taking a backseat to other legislative priorities right now. So it's not to say that some of those things won't happen. Um, but you know, they may end up waiting a year or, you know, the momentum may be slowed a little bit by, uh, the, the imminent focus on this pandemic. Yeah. It seems like, uh, like you said, the coronavirus pandemic has kind of impacted every facet of Mm -hmm. life and society, including, you know, policies and, and moving forward on plastics. And certainly as like the economy looks to recover and the country looks to reopen, it may take a while to get that momentum back, but awesome. Well, I, um, I really appreciate the time and the information, um, especially talking about what works and what's successful, put solutions out there. Um, I'll definitely encourage people to go, uh, look up that report. It's a, a great document, a lot in there, but Julia, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me, Travis. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish choice for conserving water, energy, and money while enjoying an invigorating shower. Use promo code WATERLOOP for 20% off at highsierrashowerheads.com. You're in the Waterloop.